0: Amen. Acts 20. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You and we humble ourselves before Your Word. We say thank You for Jesus. We say thank You for this Scripture and the fact that You breathed this out and intended it for us, that it's relevant and applicable to our lives in this very moment. Thank You for the grace and blessing of counting us worthy to be here among your people this morning. And God, I pray that you'll use this text mightily in our lives. Lord, we pray for Harbor City this morning as they gather around your word. We pray that you would work mightily there as well. And Lord, for the churches around us, may the word of God be the preeminent, Thing in their lives and in their worship of you. And Lord, we know that will bring you great glory. So as we gather, we take this time to set aside, focus upon you. Now, Lord, do with it as you may, with us as you may, and together we'll give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's passages in the Scripture that, uh, you know, they're all God's Word, and they're all breathed out by God, and they're all equally valuable and and uh, important, and yet certain passages of Scripture just have a more uh, prominent place in our heart and mind. I don't know if this is true for you, but well, it probably isn't true for most of you, maybe it's some of you who teach Sunday school or uh, minister in the Word can relate to what I'm about to say. But this is one of those passages of Scripture that I uh, have been looking forward to for months and yet dreading for months. And the reason for that is because this is it could be one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible for me personally. And so sometimes scripture will minister to you so deeply, personally, and um, this is one of those places that I don't, I rarely reference, rarely uh, speak about, because it's sort of my place, you know, and uh, it's just one of those places that I've never felt like it was for me to share, it was just for me, and, uh, but I knew that it was coming. And so I've been very much looking forward to it and yet um, just wondering, um, you know, how this is going to go. I found myself, even in the preparation time, uh, just being emotional. And uh, this morning just really um, trying to keep all of my emotions together as I look at this text because it's just so moving to me and important to me personally. And um, I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us. Now, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. This entire section, we won't cover all the way to 38 today. We'll break it into two sections. But Acts 20, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now let's just stop here for a second. So Paul is calling for a meeting. Here in Miletus, 50 miles south of the city of Ephesus. Now you know he was run out of Ephesus. There was a big riot in Ephesus. It's not a safe place for him to go. Uh, But he has some final words. He wants to speak to the elders of this church. And he spent three years ministering here. and, And pouring his life out to these people. And he loves them dearly. And so the compromise or the solution to the problem is not to uh, negate this desire to meet but to find out a way to make a way for it to happen and so the way for that to happen would be for all of them to travel to this city 50 miles outside of Ephesus now Paul knew in his heart that this was going to be his last opportunity to talk to these people whom he loved so much and it needed to be a face-to-face meeting. You know, Paul had a lot of final words to a lot of people, and oftentimes he would do that through writing. But this particular situation, uh, Paul felt impressed by the Spirit of God that he needed to have a face-to-face meeting with these elders. Now, wonder why that is. Well, this is the... This is the moment that that forever haunts me. Every moment of every day of my life, I'm haunted by this moment. This moment where your legacy is being passed on. And the the words that are the summation of life. That's what these are uh, for Paul. These are amazing, spectacular, unbelievable words. And yet, for all of us, it's sort of coming down to this. And sometimes we talk about how uh, I understand how it's easy or maybe easier for most of you to avoid uh, having to deal with the reality that your entire life is one day going to come down to a few statements made, like, made by a person like me in a setting like this with a big wooden box sitting there and a bunch of flowers everywhere and tissue scattered all over the place. but When you do that on a regular basis, you become keenly aware that that time is coming. And you spend a lot of time thinking about what what will be said in those moments and what will have mattered and what, what have you imparted to those that you love and what eternal difference have you made. And it's a struggle. It's a challenge because there are so many things clamoring to distract us from what matters the most. There's such extraordinary pressure that I I oftentimes wonder uh, if people even feel the pressure around them that's pulling them away from what they ought to be doing because I seem to sense it every moment of every day. And this text just deals directly with that issue. Look at verse 18. And when they had come to Him, here's what He said to them. You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, when that moment comes at the end of your journey, all of all of these things that have sort of trailed along with you, the good and the bad. You know, all of your fears and all of your bitterness, all of your unforgiveness, all of your resentment, all of your struggles and challenges, all the things that you wish were one way but yet turned out another way, all of those things are going to go with you. And also, all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all of your joys and all of your triumphs, they all go with you. All of them go with you. And then what's left. What's left behind is whittled down to just uh, a few central things. And Paul wants us to know some things about his journey and God wants to teach us some things about our journey. So if you have your listening guide, you take your listening guide, your first blank there is... Paul wants us to know that he was connected. Connected. That first blank is connected. Now, I want you to notice... How everything that Paul is saying is in the context of community. And, you know, just, I want you to notice when you're reading your Bible that that's the context of everything. Did you notice when Chris was reading from 1 John chapter 4 that every single thing said in that passage is about us? It's not about you or me, it's us. And it's the scripture is in the context of us. And what Paul is saying here is that the things that he lived for, his, the, the things he invested in, they did not occur in a vacuum. He was not attaining knowledge or information or experiencing things in life with God or without God for himself. Notice how it says in verse 18, I, I came to Asia, I always lived among you, serving then he says in verse 20, uh, proclaiming it to you. I taught you publicly from house to house. You see, all, the, all of these statements are indicators of Paul's connectedness. I want you to understand that uh, no matter how hard you try to make it another way, it will never be but the way God intended for it to be, which is this. A discipleship needs to be centered in and fueled by our immersion in the body of Christ. It's the only way discipleship works. The only way discipleship works. You'll find no record in the Scripture of anyone being discipled alone. Ever. And even when God separates off someone, He, he places someone in their life. He says, you know that from the first day I came to Asia. Why did he come to Asia? Because you were in Asia. Because God sent me to you. And in what manner that I came. I always lived among you. You see, it's because you saw this. All of these things that Paul is describing to these elders that he loves so much. That he's saying farewell to. That he's not going to see anymore. He's recalling to them the things that they saw him do Among them. These aren't things that they heard about. These aren't things that they read in a book. They're things that they witnessed together. As Paul was there among them. He lived among them. He he lived among you. See? The Apostle Paul, in accordance with Scripture, in line with Jesus, and everything that the Bible teaches, prioritizes presence. He prioritizes presence. He always does. The church is the context by which we become like Jesus. That's the context. You're not going to become like Jesus apart from the church. Now, there are many components within that. I mean, it's not just any church. And we'll get to that in the second half of this passage. That it has to be a church that is grounded and founded in the Word of God. And the things that God has commanded. But it's it's in the context of the church. And I want you to see that Paul is someone who led so clearly by example. There is no godly leadership that's not by example. I've never asked you to do anything that I'm not committed to doing myself. I've never stood before you and proclaimed to you that something was imperative for you to do that I have not done myself. My commitment to you has always been to be to work harder and to go further than anyone that I was asking to follow me. And that's the 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 message that Paul first draws out of this text is that this all happened in the context of, of a connectedness, And we, if we're not careful, we'll so overlook the necessity to be connected. Secondly, Paul, what you see about Paul is that he's committed. He's committed. Now he says in verse 19, that "He's serving the Lord with all humility. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you. And taught you publicly from house to house. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus. Well, that, that's a mouthful. That's, that's easy for me to read. But it's hard. It was, it was difficult for Paul to do. There's a lot embedded within that. Because he he was being persecuted by his own. And it was extraordinarily difficult. Yet he was committed to the purpose for which God had had called him. And so he was committed to serving those that he was connected to. And that's the thing. Is that uh, there's there's a, a, a... Commitment to connectedness, because you're not connected without commitment. Those things go together. And Paul's saying, I was connected because I was committed. And I was committed to you. I was committed to the people around me. And I want to share something with you that may shock some of you. The next blank on your handout says this. We do not serve for the benefit of others, but for obedience to the Lord. Now, I'm sure that some of you are raising an eyebrow to that statement. And obviously, it's because you're wrong. (laughs) And I'm going to explain why that is. That over the years, I've seen a lot of people come and go. When you've been somewhere for quarter of a century, you see a lot of things. You see a lot of people come and you see a lot of people go. You see a lot of people grow. You see a lot of people perish. You see a lot of struggles. You see a lot of triumph. You see a lot of things and you learn a lot of things. And one thing you learn is that people who, maybe with all the good intentions, In the world. Believe that they serve for the benefit of others. Always burn out. Never stay the course. Never. And here's why. Because what's inherent with believing that you serve for the benefit of others. Is you then begin to quantify benefit. And once you are the determiner of what is a benefit or what is beneficial and what is not beneficial, you have set yourself up for disaster because you will then begin to lose sight of what success is. Your emotions will begin to twist what success is. And so as you are serving for the benefit of others, which sounds wonderful, except for who's determining what benefit is? And so as you begin to change and skew how you serve based on how you determine and define benefit, it will only be a matter of time before you have abandoned God's will and purpose for your life and have started doing things according to worldly, maybe good, but worldly motivations will anchor what you do. You see, Paul, he says with many tears. Have you ever thought about how tears represent the extremes of our emotions? When you're crying, it's either the height of joy or the very bottom of sorrow. And so going into being committed to a group of people that you're connected to, you have to have a worldview that includes the expectancy of tears because it's embedded in the nature of what it is. It's not going to ever change. It's always going to be that way. And again, if you are basing your activity and your service on what is benefiting people or what is beneficial, at what point will tears begin to convince you, especially tears of sorrow, that what you're doing can't be beneficial? And yet the Scripture says in Paul's own life, remember back in Acts chapter 9, here's what the Bible says. The Lord says to Ananias when he's telling him to go to Paul, He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That from the very beginning, God's purpose in Paul's life included suffering. And it's the same thing for you and it's the same thing for me. And our emotions are going to tell us that that can't be beneficial. That can't be good. And suffer Paul did. Five times he's beaten with 39 stripes. Three times he's beaten with rods. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a half drifting out at sea. He faced all sorts of dangers everywhere he went. He became worn out and weary he was hungry he was thirsty he was naked he was cold all of these things as he's utterly and completely with all of his heart soul mind and strength obeying the things that god has called him to do trust me you don't ever want to base your service on what you deem beneficial Because you will falter. You will falter. As if that wasn't enough. We read texts like 2 Corinthians 11. Where Paul is pleading with the Lord. To relieve him of the agony of this thorn in his flesh. To which God doesn't do. And tells him that. His grace is sufficient. It won't seem beneficial to you. To be faithful. It will not seem beneficial. To you. To be faithful. It will be hard. And there will be so many things. That tempt you. And press you. And push you. To give in and to relent. See, he says, I, I now go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. See, he, he, but he knows it's bad, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Isn't that interesting? In other words, I think most people read that and what and they read that and think that, wow, you know, Paul knew that it was going to be hard, but he did it anyway, and that's true. But what fascinates me is why does the Holy Spirit testify to him in every city? You see the construction of that sentence? The Holy Spirit's not testifying to him that in every city he'll face tribulation. That's not how the sentence is written. In every city, the test the the Holy Spirit is testifying to him that he's going to face difficulty. So the Spirit of God is telling Paul over and over and over and over again it's going to be hard, and you're going to face trials. It's not going to seem beneficial. The world around you is not going to make sense of what I'm calling you to do. You see, suffering in the Christian life is the rule, not the exception. Oh, try like we may to make following Jesus fit into our Disney World mentality. And try to make everything as comfortable and wonderful as we can make it. We try to shelter ourselves from anything that's evil. We're fascinated by by studies and conversations about evil. But we're anticipating that the vast majority of those things are things we'll never come in contact with or encounter. There may be just the extremes of the Christian life which nothing could be further from the truth. From the very simple um, just almost ridiculous ways that I find myself interacting with evil to the the very uh, sinister, deep, um, camouflaged ways that evil is always crouching at my door. You see, one of the things you'll learn if you have the opportunity to travel around the world is that evil operates differently in different cultures. Because evil skews is its strategy to be most effective amongst the people in which it's operating. And so many of the things that I encounter in third world countries are a little bit different than the things that we may encounter here. We may see them some, but they're not maybe as, as prevalent um, simply because they'd be too obvious. For example, when I was in Brazil this last week, and uh, just you know when I'm there i uh, preaching multiple times a day, I don't take any uh, I don't take any sermons with me to Brazil, none, so I just sit quietly with my Bible for hours and God gives me a word for those people and then I, and sometimes people ask me, well, why don't you, I mean, you you know you're going to be preaching all these sermons, wouldn't it be easier just to prepare some of that in advance and take, yes, it'd be a lot easier. But you see, all of my sermons are not for them, they're for you. That's different. And so I don't want to preach something God gave me for you to them. I want to preach to them what God wants me to say to them. And so it's exciting, but it's exhausting. But the spiritual warfare is so heightened. And so, for example, I was preaching one night. We had a big street service. And so there's several hundred people all gathered around. At night out in the street, you know, under these sort of dangling uh, wires with lights. And there was probably 40 minutes of singing and all sorts of uh, pre sermon. Activities going on, all sorts of things we had been there for probably an hour prior to even that starting so we'd probably by the time I got up to start preaching we had probably been in that very location for somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours and everything had been fine and I get up and start preaching and uh, I could sense you know the 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 warfare in the amongst the people and I could feel it and Right as I got to the, 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 the pinnacle of the sermon, I held my hand up in the air like this and I began to, to belt out the very point of the message and all of the lights went blank. Completely dark. You couldn't see one inch in front of your face. Right at that moment, now that just happened it was such a coincidence that the power would go out there like that at that moment and so then they fumbled around and i don't know what they were doing but i just kept on yelling in the dark some people had their cell phones out and then eventually the lights came back on but we and i made sure that everyone there knew the the who was behind that what had just happened and how that was a strategic move to try to get you to not hear what I'm saying. And then the next night I was preaching in the church in Jakarta, which I've preached in hundreds of times. And I'm again standing up there preaching and right as I get I mean and this time we'd been there for for sure 2 hours. Everything's fine, all this music and singing, and all sorts of things going on and I begin to preach, and right as I get to the moment, whew, all the lights go out. And so I just begin to pray right in that moment. Not praying that the lights would come on, praying that God would give eyes to see to those who are trying to and tempted to be blinded by darkness. And so you ask yourself, well why don't the lights blink out here when in the well sometimes they have before but why that's not normal here is because power doesn't go out here all the time. But there those sorts you see those people don't think in terms of oh that was you know they they if I wouldn't have brought their attention to it not one person of those hundreds of people would have ever even thought to themselves that that was evil doing that at that very moment to try to stop them from hearing. But it's just those kinds of overt, obvious things that show you the desperation. It's just the desperation of the enemy. Because whatever it is he tries to do, he's not going to stop me. I'll stand there and shout in the dark. Whatever it has to be. Whatever it has to take. That's what's going to be. And it's just part of. The Christian life. I mean suffering in the Christian life. It's the rule. It's not the exception. It's the rule. That's what happens. But then there's those sinister. Sufferings that come. You know to. To as you are. Uh, you know. Again, maybe with all... I'm giving us all the benefit of the doubt. Maybe with all good intentions. Trying to serve the Lord and trying to do the things that you believe are going to be beneficial to other people. And there's going to be temptation to do everything in the world other than what God's called you to do. Everything. And it's a never-ending battle. And if you ask yourself, you know, why, why are things the way they are here? Why are we able to come and to sit and to partake of the gospel? And and yet so many other places you can't do that. And they're led by pastors who set out to be faithful. They didn't give their life to the ministry of God to to fail. But along the way, they were lulled away by what's beneficial. And you see, I can easily fall into that trap if I'm not careful. Because there's always more demanded of me than I'm able to give. There's always more of you that want more of me than I'm able to give you. There's always more of you that want me to come visit you and want me to sit with you and want me to be there for you and want me to do this and want me to do that. And I want to do those things. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to run around all week long doing what we together have deemed beneficial for us and then download somebody else's sermon and stand up here and give you some raggedy wore out junk that I didn't spend two hours working on. You see? Because that's not what God called me to do. And it's not easy to stay grounded in what God called me to do. But what the enemy knows is that there's only, there's only one. And if he can get that one to succumb to the pressure... To turn away from. You see, because if I get wrapped up in doing things that are good and beneficial in our eyes. What happens on Sunday morning? Who's going to feed the flock? And I'm just telling you, it's the greatest struggle of my life. And there's not a day that goes by that it's not right in front of my face. And so here why, here's why this means so much to me is because Paul he was connected. he was committed, and he was commissioned. Have you ever been to a commissioning service? Have you ever seen someone be commissioned? Commissioned into the military. Commissioned. You can be commissioned into a lot of things, but here's what you can't be. You you can't be commissioned into something that you don't know what it is. Because a commissioning service is centered around... A common knowledge that everyone that's there understands what we're talking about and what we're being commissioned into. And certainly the person who's being commissioned understands it. That. That's the whole point. It wouldn't make any sense at all if it wasn't common knowledge what we're being commissioned into. Look at verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me. See, none of them move me. Nor do I count my life as dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the verse I want on my tombstone. That's the struggle of my life. Right there. Because so oftentimes some of these things feel like they're going to move me. And through the tears and through the tribulations and the trials and the pain. It would just be so easy. To just go and make people happy. Just be so easy. But he says, so that I may finish my race. He didn't say finish his, finish the race. He said finish his, his race. It's, it's personal. And the ministry which I received from the Lord. Now is this Paul, just special Paul, the apostle, different from all of us? Super Paul? Is God just showing us how Paul is so utterly and completely different from you and me? Or is the Bible trying to illustrate something about Paul that's true about every one of us? That we know if we read the rest of the Bible that we're all called to run the race. And there's a race that's before us all, but there's specific things that make your race different from my race. But we're all called to run that race, and we've all been... Given a ministry which we received from the Lord Jesus the moment we were saved. You see, the greatest tragedy in the world is not a young life lost, taken away too soon. That's not the greatest tragedy. That's the tragedy. The greatest tragedy is a long life squandered. That's the greatest tragedy. A life that never looked deeply into and received the reality that our current situation, our workplace, our surroundings, our personal mission field, The reality that you can reach people that the church can't reach. You'll reach people that I'll never meet, never talk to. And there's a reason why they've crossed your path and not my path. In fact, oftentimes, what many of you who do embrace the reality of your personal mission and ministry illustrate to me and the rest of us who are looking on and cheering you forward is How so many times you are better equipped for the people in your path than anyone else. Don't ever let anybody fool you into believing that full-time ministry is relegated to a building or a title or a position. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's put the people around you that are around you for a reason, for His reason. And it's incumbent upon you to find out what that reason is. You see, the moment you were saved, God gave a measure of grace into your life. He He gifted you. And He commanded you to use those gifts for the furtherance of His kingdom. It wasn't an option. It was a command. And so we need to just breathe in a moment this morning and realize that God's work is going on right where you are. Right where you are. You don't have to go looking for it. It's it's around you. That doesn't mean that He only has what's around you for you to do, but it It is around you. Because every child of God is surrounded by opportunities because that's the character and nature of the God who saved you. And every one of us is called to lead in some way. Every one of us has some sphere of influence, whether it be uh, in the church or at home or at your job or amongst your friends or whatever the case may be, you are called to lead. And I'll tell you like I tell the people who are around me the most already know. You can't lead any other way but by example. It must be by example. You see, Paul understood that the Christian life was all about participation. It's not observation. We're we're not... You notice how he's not drawing our attention to he's not he's not encouraging these elders that he's never going to see again he's not saying i remember all those stories i told you about other places and other things remember all that information that i poured out on you you notice he doesn't go into all these theological treatise he doesn't go into all that he tells them about The things that they experience together in community. And he tells them the basic essentials of the gospel that he shared with them time and time again. Day in, day out. House to house. Over and over and over. Because those are the things that matter. In verse 24 he said, but none of them move me so that I may finish my race with joy. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run a race, run in a race, they run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way as to obtain it. You know what the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't say that you have to win the race. The Bible says you have to run the race and try to win. Isn't that good? You don't have to win. You just have to run, but you can't just flop along like a fool. you got to actually run like you're trying to do something. And I think a lot of times there's maybe a reluctance to this conversation because people don't understand who the opponent is. If you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, I... I mean, I can't run the race in such a way as a win because, you know, I mean, I can't keep up with you or I can't keep up with, you know, my parents or my Sunday school teacher or this person or that person. Well, Well, of course, well, that's foolishness. Your opponent in the race is not other runners. You're not running against other runners. That's where you're confused. You're picturing yourself running in the Boston Marathon surrounded by all these people and you're trying to beat all these people. That's not the race you're running. You're running in your own race. And your opponent is not other believers. Your opponent is the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're who's trying to stop you from running your race. You're not racing against me. You're running with me. And so together we have to fight against our opponent. We spur each other on. We encourage each other. We help each other. We might be successful in this race against our opponent. Remember in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, "You You were running well, he says to the Galatians. You were running well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see that? If you're confused about what this race is all about, it's right there. You were running well, but... Who hindered you from what? From how, how do we run? Obeying the truth. And he goes on to say, well, that persuasion is not from God. That, that, that temptation to quit running and to, that's not from God. You've been duped, you've been fooled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Even later on in this text, we'll come to in a couple of weeks. Verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's savage wolves outside that are going to come in. And look at what he says in verse 30. And from among yourselves, men will rise up. So you're going to get attacked from the outside and the inside. They're going to start speaking perverse things and draw away the disciples after themselves. You see, after themselves, you know what they're going to try to do? They're going to try to get you to do what other people deem beneficial. They're going to try to get you to start doing things that they think you ought to do. They're going to get you to try to see things the way other people see them. Instead of how God sees them, so many people are led astray who genuinely begin and, and walk away from a moment like this and, and really uh, start investing themselves in ministry. And if it's not based on obedience to the word, it's going to fail you're going to get led astray and you're going, to, you're going to either stop running altogether or start running the wrong race. And here's how this is going to work. Okay? Let me just help you. It's going to, it's going to start with poor choices that allow unhealthy voices to come into your life. You see... Those wolves that are going to come in, the way they're going to come in is they're going to come in with voices. It's going to be words in your head and, and that are going to reach into your heart and you're going to have to beware of those things and they're going to try to distract you from the prize. You see, it's, it's words that you need to be careful of, it's influences, it's voices, it's Remember how Proverbs chapter 15 says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You know what breaks the spirit of so many believers attempting to run their race and be faithful to the ministry God's called them to is allowing a perverse tongue to come into your your life. That's the enemy's favorite tactic to get unwholesome voices in your life is, is going to come in a very unexpected way. But let's just take one short moment and have a conversation. How's it going to come? How are those voices that seek to lead you astray going to come into your life? They're coming... Through your longings. What do you long for? Because what you long for. Is, exposes your weaknesses. Your longings will lead you to the weak points in your defense against the enemy. You see what happens is. Is that you. Maybe you long for acceptance. Which all of us to some degree do. And in your longing for acceptance, so the enemy is going to send a a voice into your life that's going to accept you and embrace you. And you're going to think that that's so wonderful because that acceptance that you've been longing for, you found. But what you don't realize is that it's coming at a great cost. And that voice is beginning to lead you astray. Look around. Watch, and you'll see it happen time and time and time and time and time and time again. So many of you have been ravaged by your longings. Maybe you longed because maybe it's loneliness and you long to have somebody in your life. And then suddenly someone comes in that seems to be the solution to your loneliness, and, it, and in so many ways, that person makes you feel so good in that area that you've been longing to find relief in. But along with it comes a voice, a voice that's persuading you away from the mission, a voice that is telling you the things your flesh want to hear. You see, you think about it. Maybe you long for success. Maybe you're longing for some approval, whatever it is. So we all have these longings inside of us. And you think about how this works. The enemy sends someone to meet your longing. And you know what? Uh, you know what a person who's longing for acceptance, loves. A voice that agrees with what they're saying. It feels so good. And so whatever you say, they just agree with you. And what they're doing is just propping up and building up your flesh. And you even... You even subconsciously begin to distance yourself from the people who actually tell you the things you need to hear, who are willing to have the difficult conversations with you, that don't just agree with you and say, yes, oh, you, you know, I understand, but say, no, that's wrong. This is what the Bible says. You ought to have relationships in your life where you literally almost at times have to force yourself to be connected to because sometimes it's hard because they speak truth into your life. It's your longings that make you vulnerable. Whatever it is this morning that you long for, that's the door to which the enemy is coming in to bind your house right there. I guarantee you. I see it all the time. You want to fill your life with people who are promoting and propping up the endeavor of running the race in such a way as to win. Those annoying people that say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but you've been reading your Bible? How's your D group going? How come you weren't in Sunday school last week? What's going on with your relationships? That's what you need. You see, that's that's real connectedness. That's committed and commissioned. You need people that understand, they've been commissioned something we've all I want people in my life that understand I've been commissioned to something because I need help because sometimes the temptation to waiver is so real every Sunday morning about four o'clock I'm driving up County Farm Road in the dark and you know there's there's traffic on County Farm Road at 4 a.m. There's two kinds of people I've discerned over the years on County Farm Road at two a.m., at 4 a.m. There's drunk people trying to kill me. I was thinking, Brandon, if, if you could talk to the sheriff and he could come up with a new plan to where... Uh, Citizens would receive $500 for every DUI that they made possible. I'd be wealthy. Because I'd drive around more swerving drunk fools at 4 a.m. than you can imagine. But they're all going north in front of me. Thank God. But you know what all the headlights are coming south? Every one of them. It's a pickup truck. Pulling a boat. Now I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't think there's times I think to myself, dang, I'd like to go fishing. I mean, how great would it be to just be able to get up and just go fishing? Sometimes I just think to myself, I just turn my truck around and just head down to the harbor. Find some friendly face who take in a lonely pastor to go fishing. But I can't do that. I've been commissioned. You, you've been commissioned to do something. And you've got to know what that is. And you better find it. And you better do it. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We need to lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. From what? From running the race with endurance but the solution is we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the solution for your longing is found in His mission. See, here's what dawns on me. And only, t- I, mean, I, I, only I, I mean, I'm not going to tell you I don't go there, but it, it lasts maybe 15 or 20 seconds. And then I realize... I picture myself standing before the Lord going, but look at the fish I caught, God. And I realize how stupid it is. I don't mean fishing stupid. I just mean for me, in that moment, it's stupid. And I just realized the mission. You see, what I long for more than anything else is to be faithful to the mission. And it will protect you. It will shore you up. So the fourth thing that Paul wants us to know about him and what God wants us to know about ourselves is that, well, he's, he's connected and he's committed and he's commissioned and he's crowned. He's crowned. He's crowned. You know, the the Bible talks about in James chapter 1, it's the crown of life. It's given to those who persevere through trials. The Bible says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Man, amen. That encourages me. Paul says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. See, he was determined to receive that crown of life. we got to remember that his victory is not for those who claim it, but for those who live it. There's a lot of folks claiming it. A lot of folks love the so-called fringe benefits of Christianity. You know, they feel good about themselves. They, they feel good. They convince themselves, well, I'm going to heaven. God promises to always be with me. You know, I have this inner peace because, you know, all those things. But it won't hold up to Scripture. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Which are God's? There's been a transaction. And you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to God. And so there's certain things incumbent to that relationship. Paul said in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, This is how one should regard us. Not me, us. All of us. Saved people as Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. We have to be found faithful. Now I know that can set on your heart and seem kind of heavy. But I want you to know that the master that you follow is also the friend who loves you. The potter who molds you is also the Father who adores you. But nonetheless, He's the Lord, and nonetheless, He's commanded us. And so the reality is, is that to follow Jesus is to follow Him to His death. That's what it is. Because if we're following Jesus, well, where is He going? To die. You see, when He he called His disciples... Every one of them, when he looked him in the eye and said, follow me. He was going to die. That hasn't changed. If we want to follow him, we have to take up a cross. Our cross and follow him. To follow him is to follow him. To his death. How are we going to do that? How are you going to do that? Some of you are looking at me like, man, I should have went fishing. (laughs) That's a lot of pressure. Well, Kind of. But we have to remember what we've been given in order to accomplish this. That He's filled us with His power and His strength through His Spirit. And think of what that power represents. It's, it's the same power that spoke the universe into creation. It's the same power that hung the sky, the stars, and the moon Over our heads. It's the same power that created every man, woman, and child. It's the same power that delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. It's the same power that spread the Red Sea in half. It's the same power that brought forth water from a rock. It's the same power by which God's people overtook the Promised Land. It's the same power that rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. It's the same power that rescued Daniel from the lion's den. It's the same power that spoke the words of truth through the prophets to people who wouldn't listen. It's the same power that healed the blind and healed the lame and healed the sick. It's the same power that called Lazarus forth from the tomb. The same power that rose Jesus up from the tomb. It's the same resurrection power that God used to accomplish all those things. It's the same power that's in you that will enable you to go out and do the things that God's called you to do. That we're not here to, to stand before some uh, unscalable mountain And to look at some ideology that none of us can achieve. But God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's equipped every one of His children with every inch or ounce of power that you'll ever need to draw upon to be successful in running your race and accomplishing your ministry. You see, because He called us all to do something. But before He called us all to do it, He reminded us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. And then He called us to go and make disciples. And to teach them all the things that He's taught us. You see, too often if we look around, if we listen to the voices of the world we will be surrounded by by people that are going to tell us that the mission's not to go and make the mission is to sit and listen that's not the mission and i understand every time you turn the tv on someone's getting shot we got a drug problem an education problem a finance problem Society around us is skewed and crumbling. We got school shootings happening all over the place. We got marriages falling apart in this room and all around our community. We got identity problems. We got mission problems. We got 30,000 people that live in our immediate area that go to church nowhere every single Sunday. We've got a world that kills more Christians every day than at any other time in human history. There are three billion people in the world today that do not know the name of Jesus. There are entire people groups. Not only do they not know and follow Jesus, they've never heard His name. But we tell those voices to be quiet. Because we're distracted by so many other things that want to pull us into something that's not reality. We find margin for television and Facebook. And then we sit and we listen. And we feel like we've accomplished something by doing so. But what if... What if we decided to devote ourselves to the mission at hand? What if we decided to set aside everything else and put at the forefront of our minds the very thing that we've been connected for, which is to be commissioned to, which is to go and to make disciples, to make disciples around us where we are, to be about the things that God's called us to be about? What if our house... What if our front yard and our backyard became places of ministry, places of mission, places of gospel, places of joy in the kingdom of God? What if we started leading by example? What if we stopped looking to professionals to do the things we've been called to do? What if we did those things? And what would happen if the people of God started soaring on eagles' wings and running and not getting tired and walking and not growing weary? What if we began to corporately act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God? What if we became the church that God actually called us all to be? What if we embrace the reality that we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth? What if we lived every day like we really were joint heirs with Christ and we share in His inheritance. What if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are the temple of the living God, the dwelling place of Him? What if our lives reflected the reality that we've been reconciled to God through the power of reconciliation and then given the ministry of reconciliation to accomplish amongst the lost and dying world? But you see, there's an enemy. And he wants to stop that from happening. He wants to deceive you. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to think only about yourself and only about the things you want to think about. He wants you to be consumed with just you and yours. He doesn't want you to think about the kids in our community that go to bed every night hungry. Or parentless. He doesn't want you to think about the marriages that are falling apart. Because you have to focus on your own. He wants you to think only about the things that affect you directly. He doesn't want you thinking about all the people that you know personally. That are right now on their way to hell. And he certainly doesn't want you to think about the millions of people around the world. That don't know Jesus. But let me tell you something. The enemy can't stop you, he can't hold you, and he can't hurt you. Because you're a child of the living God. And he's won the victory on our behalf. And there's coming a moment when there's going to be a trumpet sound and the sky's going to crack open and he's coming back riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand and blood on his robe and his victory is going to be real and it's going to be ours and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and those who were on the mission, those who did not relent and did not turn away and stayed faithful to what God called them to do and believed and knew That every day was laden with opportunity for you to turn away and stop running your race. But listen. If you follow Him, you win. The invitation that Paul invites us to and God invites us to this morning is to leave the race we could not ever win and to run the race we cannot lose. Yes. There's going to be tears and trials along the way and it's going to seem it's going to seem like it's not beneficial. But just remind yourself, ask yourself this question, who's defining beneficial? Let's stand.